as entrepreneurs, <laughs> there's no shortage of advice out there. We've got an awful lot of people who are there to give us advice who have never done it. Well, I'll tell you, we've got a really remarkable entrepreneur. I love on his blog, he's got the start, and I'm gonna look over to it, and let's skip the bullshit. And you, know, you as fellow entrepreneurs, you've all had bullshits. We've got all kinds of people teaching us how to be successful entrepreneurs, and they've never done it. <laughs> but they read a book, maybe one book more than we did, and they've got little experience. This individual is a uh, very good friend. We met through Jason Gennard at Mastermind Talks, and we had the chance to do a little rally car uh, exercise. So we've got to know each other well through this. But one of the things that's so good about this remarkable entrepreneur that I'm gonna have us join in a second is that one of the things that I noticed is that the fellow entrepreneurs at these mastermind groups all turn to sell to ask his advice. And one of the reasons is he's done it. He's uh, been an entrepreneur for 15 years, six companies, over eight figures generated. And like you and me, he's made a lot of mistakes, but he had a lot of successes. And more importantly, he had a lot of fun doing it. You'll want to meet this remarkable entrepreneur. Stay tuned. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep, think bold, drive hard. Watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AES Nation. Well, I am so excited to have you join us here at AES Nation. You are one of the guys who I want to share with all our audience because you have helped many people accelerate their success uh, just as a really good friend while you're doing your own businesses as well. So first of all, thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, John. It's a pleasure. Well, you know, one of the things we've met at fun events and they've been fruitful for both of us and have helped us each. And, and I, I wanna, you've got some great lessons you've learned along the way. And what I'd like to do is a little bit of the backstory first because, um, you know, it's funny, Sal, I think of you as a quiet guy, but everything you do is not quiet at all. <laughs> right. And so I don't know the whole background, so this is a little dangerous for everybody, but it sure. is, uh, you have really made some things happen and I wanna give some framing. So tell, tell me how you got to where you are now. For sure, so uh, I, we actually immigrated. Uh, I was, I'm ethically Kashmiri, which is Pakistan India keep fighting over. I was born in Pakistan. Grew up mostly in Saudi Arabia, spent a few years in Japan, back to Saudi Arabia, did eighth grade in Houston, and then we immigrated to Canada. So you hear about all these entrepreneurs that are always like, yeah, you know, selling candies as a kid or lemonade as a kid. Uh, that was not me. Entrepreneurship to me was always about being independent and being free. Uh, and I think a lot of other entrepreneurs, especially online, they can kind of empathize with that mindset. Uh, just to give you a sense of how independent I am, I was not born Saul Orwell. I legally changed my full name. The idea that I could not, that I did not get to choose my own name was ridiculous, <laughs> and I was like, I'm just gonna do this. Uh, my mom did call me an idiot, but she's used to the kind of escapades I do. So basically, like when I when we moved to the West, I had a huge culture shock. I got into it was my refuge. It was where I could be me. And that's where I realized the opportunity of business right there. So back in the day when there was just EverQuest before World of Warcraft or any of the other these online games came out, uh, I got into virtual currency. 
So you're a busy professional, for example. You don't have time to spend 50 hours to get the Sword of Doom. So I go to you and I say, hey, I will sell you the Sword of Doom for $300. And you go like 50 hours, $300, no brainer. So we did really well in that. Uh, after that, I moved into a new neighborhood in Toronto. Uh, this was before Google Maps came out. This was the first condo in this neighborhood uh, and nobody knew what was there. And so my now ex-wife and I, we actually went out with our old digital camera, this is like 2003, uh, and we took a photograph of every business there. We went inside, we interviewed the manager, owner, and we put up a local search site. So we were in local search way back then. Uh, that did really well. We expanded from the neighborhood to Toronto, to Canada, to we went worldwide. Uh, we're now a partner with Google. Um, after that, I had achieved enough success for me uh, that I basically retired. So for five years, I lived in the States, in Argentina, kind of just gallivanting around. So give me your age at that time. So we got to, you know, I'm 61 oh, yeah. and it took, <laughs> at 45, I had a liquidity event that I did retire. I lasted right. only, so you're much better at all this than me. I only lasted six months. Did you, <laughs> did, were you fully retired for five years? Uh, yeah, so I was 22 at this time. Uh, I mean, I would say I was 90%. So what I do is I kept ownership of uh, my companies, but I put my number two in charge. And I basically paid him more than I paid myself. No one knew who I was, like no one, uh, I never built a brand for myself. I was building brand for my companies. Um, so essentially, I paid him to run it. He ran it really well. In many ways, he ran it better than I could. He had a much stronger technical understanding. Uh, but yeah, I was around 22 when I launched off on this. Um, and when I came back, I lived in Argentina, then Manhattan, then I came back to Toronto. I gained a lot of weight. And as I lost weight, I realized these supplement companies were ripping us off. And so uh, six and a half years ago, I created a company called examine.com. Uh, we are now the largest database of nutrition research. We get over a couple million visitors a month. We've been in New York Times, Time, BBC, blah, blah, blah. Um, and about two years ago, I started talking about entrepreneurship because as you said, there's a lot of people out there who talk about entrepreneurship, but even honestly, even the ones that are pretty successful at it, uh, not to be a jerk, I can't help it, uh, but a lot of them were freelancers, right? Like they don't understand what HR is like, they don't understand legal, they don't understand the joys of managing 20 plus humans, which is, you know, politics start coming in and you gotta, like one person needs tough love and another person can't deal with tough love. Um, and so I don't do any coaching, I don't do any consulting, but it was a, it was a great like outlet for me. So I've been doing that for the past few years. And the next project I already have lined up, I'm going to do pets. So I bought pet.org a while ago. And the common thread in all of these, you'll notice, is that I always did these for myself. It was never like, ooh, this is a market opportunity. It was I went into online games. I went to local search. I was a lot heavier and I lost a lot of weight. So that's kind of always been the thing that spurred me on is I find this interesting. Some of them become businesses. Some of them don't. But all the while, I'm having uh, quite the experience in Joyride while I'm figuring this out. No, this is great, Sal. I mean, it's, you know, this is one of the things that it comes across loud and clear when we've been together is that you're having a lot of fun and we're going to get into a lot of the fun. And this is, I always talk about we're in business, not for more business. We're in business for supporting a great quality of life, building that great quality of life for all stakeholders, you know, first for our enlightened self-interest, but really, you know, we got to do it for our clients, our customers, sure. our teammates, our principals and so on. And you've been doing it repeatedly and you shared with me and I want to walk you through kind of uh, the five uh, big takeaways where before we turned on the camera, we were going over this. And one of the first um, I love because this is a mistake a lot of people in today's Internet 
make is you build a brand, not your name. And mm -hmm. the temptation, Sal, is all of us want to see our name in lights. Um, tell me you know, why you feel so strongly and why this was number one. So I, I've done this now for 18 years. Uh, until two years ago, pretty much nobody knew who I was. They may have heard of my companies, but they didn't know who I was. And the reason I think it's the number one thing is uh, all of us, I would imagine, that are listening are here to build businesses. And if your name is your business, extricating yourself from your business is a huge headache. Like if I was Saul Orwell and someone hired uh, me or bought my product, they expect Saul Orwell, right? If they're emailing me, they're expecting Saul Orwell. With the company, examine.com, SGO, whatever, I can get rid of it. I can sell it, I can move on, I can bring other people. The guy who runs examine.com now, we brought him in two years after we started the company. I mean, this guy's a double MBA, MPH from Hopkins, he was doing his PhD in nutrition, he's brilliant. We could have never gotten him when we started. But because it wasn't Saul Orwell supplement company or whatever, we didn't have to explain to people why did we bring someone else. And not to mention, at the end of the day, the brand becomes so much more than you. Like, I'm an opinionated guy, I put out stuff that some people don't necessarily like, and, and such is the way of life, but no one holds that against my company. No one holds that against my employees. And the moment you become that person, like Papa John's, right? Simple example, the CEO is, uh, let's say, a loud Trump supporter. Better or worse, it is what it is, right? Some people take that very personally, right? They think that it's his fault that they shouldn't order from them or whatnot. If you dissociate yourself from the brand, people won't hold your individual beliefs and thoughts so strongly against everyone else. And, you know, we've got team members that don't necessarily agree with me. That's fine. And in the real world, that's fine. But especially today when things are so kind of heated up, um, I think having that almost barrier between your business and yourself is really, really important. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, and I think it's both. It's not just one or the other reason. I mean, in the past, you did it for the sale, the exit. Yeah. And whether you're never planning on exiting uh, along the way, you just did it so that you had that opportunity. But now what we're seeing is, you know, with a, the, I mean, you're up in Canada. I'm here in the States. I, I travel enough. I was there in Toronto last week. And you know, there, there is enough political noise on both sides, every country, we're much more divisive that it's, it's very important to really think that through. But, you know, just the first reason, building it so even if you never plan on selling it, uh, having that option as entrepreneurs, most of us become entrepreneurs really to have freedom to build a great quality of life. And, yep. you know, that's if we're, you know, we don't don't stick ourselves. Now, one of the things I love that you've done, number two, and this just follows right in a great order, is empowering your guys because, you know, you're no longer the brand. You can, you know, go to Argentina, <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah, I always uh, my definition of a good business is when you leave for 90 days mm -hmm. and you come back and it's better. You have a very good business. That's but, right. And that's like, the guys. Left. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so so my other viewpoint is, um, you know, we want to we always talk about we want to attract the best and we want to have the smartest. But the best and the smartest are like everyone else. We want recognition, right? We want to be respected by our peers. Uh, we want to be considered experts in our area. And so when I mentioned Kamal, right, he's brilliant dude. Uh, everyone thinks that he's the man uh, that owns Examine.com. Now, he's a man who's in charge of it. 
He's the man making the decisions. And there's two things. One, he knows nutrition research better than I ever will. He was on the vitamin D task force when they upped the recommendation. I am not that man. Like, I know what I'm good at, and it's not that. And the win-win then is because we get millions of visitors every month, Kamal knows that the exposure and audience and influence he gets with us is much larger than he ever would on his own. And it's one of those perfect win-wins that Kamal can now say, hey, I've been in New York Times and BBC and Guardian and whatever and whatever, but he knows he was able to do it because of the strength of the examine.com brand. Like, whew, when we did our last uh, hiring call early last year, we had 500 plus PhDs apply to work with us. Like, that blew our mind, right? And so he knows that uh, he would never have access to all these superstar researchers, whenever we like, you know, gut biome is big these days, right? Probiotics. We know pretty much every single probiotic researcher. We have access to them. And he knows it's partially because of examine.com. And we know it's partially because his, you know, leadership and his thought brings it to it, uh, to the front, right? So um, it's like, you know, we all talk about win-win and oftentimes it's given lip service. I think this embodifies a win-win for everyone involved. Well, let me, I, I know my fellow uh, entrepreneurs would be really upset at me if I didn't ask the question of, you know, that's a lot of traffic, Sal. I mean, yeah. you know, that's a, and what, what are some of the lessons uh, you've learned on creating, you know, developing that track to, traffic and it's not, you know, one viral cat post. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, oh, my and God. And then I'm familiar with the website <laughs> and I know, but, you know, share with us, how are you doing that? And, you know, consistently, because it's not like there aren't a lot of other people and you've got some big uh, drug companies trying to grab that attention oh, and sure. uh, there's no shortage. So uh, there's a few things. Uh, I think the biggest thing is people get stuck in the cycle of I have to generate more content, I have to generate more content. We have maybe, you know, I think five, 400, 500 supplements we've covered, and that's across six and a half years. We have over four million words written on the website. Instead of trying to make a new post or a new angle, we say we have a great page on whey protein. How can we make it better? How can we make it better? And eventually what's amazing is uh, the mainstream media comes to us. Uh, QZ, they just did an article on Infowars and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and supplements. They had, I think, four different links to us. Uh, New York Times, like I mentioned, Time, BBC. We didn't even know that the BBC was putting us in their book until someone, one of their editors emailed us after the fact being like, oh, by the way, we added a, like we added uh, your information onto it. So a lot of people, I think, just get too caught up on building new stuff, whereas our version is how can we iterate and make things better? Uh, and the other thing is, you know, everyone talks about paid traffic and Facebook and social media. We're not even on YouTube. We're not even on Instagram. Uh, Google is still the king, and the best way to do really well in Google is to get the mainstream licking to you, talking about mentioning you. So we've done a really good job uh, building relationships with journalists and with editors. So anytime they come across something that they don't know, they come to us. And part of that come to us uh, is that we specialize in our niche. We don't say, hey, come to us about health, come to us about fitness. We say nutrition research, supplement research, we're your men. If not that, then we can tell you who to go to, but that's not our area. Well, so I'm going to change the order just a bit. I know you have a okay. number five. I'm moving that's it right. because we're right there. And yeah. the press is your friend. And this is something that, you know, you've positioned you know, really the firm as the thought leader in this space. And 100%. that is so valuable. That franchise is huge. And 
People don't, you know, I mean, I, I actually have always done media partnerships. It's been one of the most important things, but you've taken it to another level. Maybe kind of what are you doing, you know, uh, in today's political divisive, uh, you know, most people, when we say the media or the press is our friend, they go, no, it's not. <laughs> so, you know what? Okay, if we take a step back, uh, first of all, uh, the press, the media, has got their ass kicked over the last 15 years, right? The internet has come and literally just slapped it all across the face. And so the media has done what the internet has become. It's become a chase for traffic, a chase for viral articles. BuzzFeed, for example, you know, just totally changed the game. Now, every single media outlet, pretty much their main uh, metric, their KPI that they're measuring is how much traffic are we getting? Because the more traffic we're getting, the more ads we're selling. So if you reverse engineer that, you realize, okay, Imagine you're a journalist and you have an editor. That editor is breathing down your neck saying, how is BuzzFeed putting out 15 articles a day and you're putting out one or two? You need to do better. And so when you put that into consideration, you go, okay, if I can go to a journalist or if I can go to an editor and say, hey, I can write a story for you or I can be your resource or I can get all the information you need, you just need to type it up and put in your words. Suddenly you're not some you know, uh, bloodsucker just trying to promote yourself. Now you become a useful resource. And the other thing, and it always stuns me, right? Like people talk about marketing. They always go like, put yourself in your user's shoes and don't sell what you can do for them, but sell how you solve their problems. And that's great, but oftentimes it's lip service. You go to a journalist and you go, talk about my company. It's the best thing ever in the world. Haza. And they're like, why would I talk about it, right? There's no, no one ever angles the upside for the journalist. So what we have done, and we've done this over years, is we connect with journalists, we talk about what they wrote about, we talk about how we can make their life easier. We say, we know all the, the researches you could ever want. Uh, even just today, the um, editor, uh, health editor of a major newspaper emailed me and saying, hey, there's this curcumin study I saw, what do you guys think? Within 24 hours, we had given her all the information she'd ever need. It's gonna be an article in the next week, boom, she links right back to us. So it's one of those like mindsets where if you treat uh, the media as a customer and you give them the information they want and have it ready for them and are available for them, they will love you. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you see the same kind of people all over the media. It's because they figured out this simple thing help them not use them. I, I think that's the basis for that. It's not that hard to be honest. Sal, do you, one of the things I've struggled with, and I'll bring my you know, personal, is that there's now so many media outlets to really decide who you're gonna work with because, you know, I mean, I love your advice and it's one I've done throughout my whole career. And, you know, uh, my partner writes a, you know, a, a blog for Forbes twice a week. I do Huffington Post. You know, we have in our, our niches, we have huge relationships. But, you know, what's becoming harder and harder is to make the decision because, at least in our business, of getting more and more contacts with yeah. that aren't the right media outlets. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's almost like a triage, right? If we look at it, everything trickles downwards. If you can get to the larger and quote unquote more influential organizations, pretty much what you say trickles downwards. So my point of view, for example, is if I, uh, for as an entrepreneur, for example, or someone who speaks about it, I've been on Lifehacker about half a dozen times. And the amount of traffic Lifehacker sent has been phenomenal. Right, I've been on uh, Growth Lab, which is Ramit Sethi's website a few times. Uh, I've sent a few people there. 
phenomenal amounts of traffic. But I couldn't have gotten to those organizations without having gone through, uh, and not to sound glib about it, but lower media uh, to that level, yeah. right? So, uh, and, and the other, the reality about media, let's be honest, is you know Forbes, um, Entrepreneur Magazine, many of them, they don't really send that much traffic unless they specifically promote that one or two article of you. Uh, and the media in that case almost becomes more of a leveraging where you can say, hey, listen, I was in Forbes, you should write about this, or hey, you can trust me, I've been in Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, blah, 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 this is why um, you should publish whatever I write. Uh, but I have found that uh, the media, old school media, is great for establishing your credentials, but new school, Gawker, Lifehacker, uh, Thrillist, those guys send a lot more traffic um, than everyone else, to be honest. Yeah, that's, that's a great distinction, because I think that's where so many entrepreneurs make mistakes. They think that, geez, if I get quoted in the Wall Street Journal, the li my life will change. And I've been on the front page of the Wall Street Journal for, you can get it really easy with a criminal thing, but you know, the, uh, you know, having a quote, and it, you know, for the most part, it's, it's entertaining your family members, you know, some good old friend will look you up, but there's not much there. But there's credibility, you know, being mentioned, as you said, and then this whole uh, new media. I like that uh, separation. I haven't heard it that way. Uh, well, let, let's continue. So, the, you know, one of the things you and I talk about and we live, I mean, we've been having some good times together. We're just going to be doing another car event. And, uh, sure. you know, we both enjoy uh, food and cars. And I'm, I'm sure there's a few other and entrepreneurship, a few other things that we enjoy. But number three for, or, well, I'm gonna make it number four now because we went, did press, but yeah, there's more to life than business. And boy, I, I got a lot on this, but I, I wanna hear what you have to say. I think, uh, and I think you'd empathize with this, a lot of people forget why they got into entrepreneurship, right? It becomes that cycle, oh, I wanna hit 100,000, I wanna hit a million, I wanna hit two, two and a half, five, 10, 50, whatever. Uh, eventually you just go, why do I want 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, 100 million, whatever. If you legitimately want to have a yacht that can hold two helicopters, all the more power to you, that's great. I mean, that's honestly great. For me, it was one of those things where I live downtown Toronto. Uh, I live in a four-bedroom house. Uh, I have a kick-ass dog. I have a pretty cool woman. I'm pretty content. Like, I don't need a car. I can walk wherever I want. I can grab an Uber or a, or a cab or rent a car if I want to go for a week somewhere. So I'm very content. And so I put more of my effort and energy into stuff like community building or fun stories or random things. Uh, a lot of people, they get lost in the thrill of the money. And I think it's important for us to just sometimes step back and go, is it worth it? And not to say it's not, but what am I chasing? Rally racing is a great example, right? We make money and we spend it to have fun. And one of the most the, uh, favorite things I ever say to people is this is why we make money. Like I have a, a barbecue uh, off we do every Super Bowl and I spent like a couple thousand to get like this WWE style belt made. It should be there, but I lost and I came second this year. It's very embarrassing. And people go like, what were you thinking? Like, why would you spend that much? Or why would you do that? And I'm like, this is why we make money. I know why I make money because I'm doing things like this, but I think oftentimes people forget why uh, why they do that. And I think it's important to take a step back and be like, you know what, 
Um, there's a lot more to, to life than just your business, your brand, your reputation even. Um, there's a lot of fun to be had, a lot of things to explore, a lot of things to experience. And, and I think sometimes we forget that. Yeah, I think it's it's so important, Sal. The, you know, what, what happens, and you know, I've, I've grown up in the financial industry and I had the privilege of working with a whole bunch of billionaires along the way. And, you know, and I'm, I will argue that money does buy a decent Ooh. amount of happiness type thing, but you don't need a billion to get it. I mean, I don't have any clients that have two helicopters. I do have clients that have yachts with you know helicopters and multiple jets and that stuff. And you know, the relative degree of happiness along the way is not high. And most of them, you know, I mean, they were intensely focused in the right place, right time. And even they, you know, with a few drinks would share, I was lucky, you know, type thing, yeah. I, you know, just right place, right time. But you know what? You don't need that much money to have a great life. I mean, I, nothing yeah. wrong with money. I'm a financial guy. I like it, everything else. But making time along the way, I mean, one of the things I see with so many young entrepreneurs, particularly, is I'm in Silicon Valley and there's people putting hours after hours, miserable life and, you know, uh, you know family being destroyed, the whole thing. And if they just took a little time and maybe they wouldn't have, you know, that they'd be 10% less wealthy, but they'd have one heck of a great life. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a rat race, right? We're not, a lot of entrepreneurs at this level are not at a poverty level. They're not struggling to make ends meet. Uh, I mean, I, I've met entrepreneurs and they're like, I've got a spending problem. And I'm like, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but that's the, the most flippant way of treating your own expenditures. You don't have a spending problem. You're just being a problem. Like, you can choose not to, you know, put your kids through private equestrian lessons and this and this. It's okay. So, uh, I mean, again, you know, we spend our time to make money, but sometimes it's important to remember to use that time for other things. Uh, but if it makes you happy, go for it. Like if you're Vaynerchuk and you love the hustle and grit and grind nonstop, that's fine. I'm not saying don't do that. I just don't think most people are built that way. And I think they forget that sometimes. Well, I think, you know, Gary Vee is a great example. The, you know, great guy um, doing a lot for the world and all that. But I mean, he his hustle is more than most people can oh, yeah. do or should oh, yeah. do type thing. Absolutely. Like, that's how he's wired, and that's fine. There's nothing yeah. wrong with it. I would never try to tell him to slow down. I just think most people would benefit from a little bit more R&R, &R for sure. Well, in, in taking you know, behaviorist uh, studies is... You know, you should schedule. And I mean, I'm, I'm wired. I love business. I tried getting away from it at 45 and didn't work. And my, actually, my wife wanted me to go back uh, 37 <laughs> years. She said, you know, if you want to stay together, you got to go get a, You got to start another business because yeah. I'm tired of doing fun things with you anymore. Tight. But the, I need to have <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was, you know, it's funny, Sally. Well, she, I literally, Jeannie, uh, we went and, you know, we, every year we have kind of our goals and the goal was, you know, I never want to get an elite level on any airline again. I mean, that was her big goal. Is, wow. That's yeah. quite the goal. That's yeah. A new <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and everybody's got different goals. You got to respect life and so on. And, and, and I love doing business. I, you know, you and I wouldn't have ever met if we weren't doing this. And this is, you know, it's just get to hang out with really, you know, talented, cool, fun, loving people. And why would you miss that by, you know, working until two in the morning every night, I think, or even sure. 11 o'clock? Absolutely. 
But one of the things that you really impressed me, you know, and you took it a little level because I, I kind of got that the part. I, I have plenty of fun. I've got a great life, all that stuff. But you did something that I haven't done. And I'm going to say probably many of our fellow entrepreneurs haven't done. And it's building your local community. I mean, so many of us are, you know, thinking national, global with the Internet. We can be everywhere. And Sal, you've done some really fun projects. And some of my our fellow, your close friends, uh, my good business acquaintances from mastermind groups, you know, thank the world of you because of these events uh, hanging out in Toronto. I almost want to, I was there on a Chamber of Commerce Day uh, last week and I'm thinking, geez, with all this fun stuff going on, maybe I should live here. But I, yeah, I did cool. grow up close to that area. So I know the weather can be bad in the winter. A, a little bit unpleasant, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, tell us a little bit about your logic of this building your local community, because that, that's a little counterintuitive for most people who are really knowledgeable about using you know, leveraging businesses uh, as we're talking about. For sure. So uh, I got to be honest, in itself, it was out of very selfish things. So uh, as an immigrant, uh, I was basically here by myself. Uh, my parents, uh, my dad's job took me everywhere. So they moved to Berlin afterwards and Amsterdam and so forth. So I was here by myself. And I essentially, uh, a bunch of us friends who were all here by ourselves, we basically became what we called ourselves the fam. We were like a little family. And that's what really impressed upon me about how important it is to have these close relationships where it's not necessarily about you can do this for me or you're this spectacular person in business or whatnot. It just so happened to be that uh, other entrepreneurs who are at a level of success want to be able to bitch say or want to be able to have a person they can say like man my project manager really drove me insane and if you tell that to most people they're like why like you're an asshole like they don't understand sometimes the realities of being a boss right sometimes you have to do these things and people go why are you being like this and you go well because there's 20 other people that rely on me right so that's kind of what started it um and i've always really loved food loved going to nice places, not even nice places, just grimy places, as long as the food is delicious. And especially coming from an engineering background uh, and being involved in nutrition, people sometimes treat food as fuel, as if we're robots, which is some of the most insane things I've ever heard. If you look at us culturally, historically, every single culture has bonded over food. That's what brings us together. And so it was almost a no-brainer for me to be like, hey, listen, you're cool, you're cool, you're cool. You haven't met all these other people. Let's get together and break bread. And that's originally what it was. And I like the first dinner I did, I thought it would be like two hours maybe. It ended up being almost five hours where we're like, all right, the, the, the kitchen staff was like, all right, you guys need to leave. I know you know the chef, but maybe it's time you leave. And I was like, all right. But the brilliance of all that is, you know, the, the, the phrase, the refrain is common uh, is, you know, your net worth is your network. And it builds these long-lasting relationships that opens up doors to the international world. Um as I was telling you, you know, when people come to Toronto, uh, people in the entrepreneur scene, if they want to have a good, uh, good food, people say, hey, talk to Saul. He knows good restaurants. Talk to Saul. He knows a lot of chefs. Um, people, you heard of the cookies. People may have heard of cookies. It's like talk to Saul. He knows where the best cookies are, where the best butter tarts, whatever are. Uh, and then what's awesome then becomes like, hey, do you want to have a dinner? Talk to Saul. He can bring people, awesome, interesting people that you would have never been exposed to to the dinner. And so that's kind of what it's become. We're almost once a month now, someone flies into Toronto. They're very good at what they do in their respective industry. They want to meet other entrepreneurs. And the other thing is the exchange of ideas from 
entrepreneurs that aren't in your bubble, right? We all get stuck in our little bubble, be it internet marketing or SEO or wealth management or whatnot. We're always living in our little bubble. And so the ideas that I'm exposed to by having a conversation with you, vice versa, uh, with me, it might even be the same ideas, but it might be a little bit of a different viewpoint on it, right? Like you said, new media, old media, you haven't heard about it. So I, I find like it's one of those things where it brings so much value, it's hard to quantify. It's almost like um, on a balance sheet, what is it called? Ugh. I'm blanking right now. Good intentions, no. Goodwill. Goodwill, that's right, yeah. Goodwill, right? It's almost like building goodwill, but it's a massive, massive number. And what's amazing now is everywhere I travel, there's somebody I've met online or through my local community. Everywhere I go, people give me recommendations. Oh, go here. I was in Kosovo last summer and I got to hang out with someone who lives there. Like, that would have never happened without the internet making this work, right? So I'm a huge fan of bringing people together because the downline effects are so massive and so many years down the road. Um, you know, rally racing would have never happened if I hadn't met Jason, who I wouldn't have hap- met if I hadn't met UJ, who I wouldn't have uh, met if I ha- didn't meet Dan Go six, five, five years ago, right? Dan- yeah, I know. We're all so interconnected. Right. It uh, all comes together, right? And the only reason I met UJ was because he was in a bad accident uh, on his motorcycle in Bali. And when he came back to Toronto, he stayed with Dan Go, who happened to be my mutual friend, right? So it's this where people are so worried about like, what's the return on investment? Or can I sell my services to these people? Well, they realize your reputation can do so, so, so much more. And it's not that hard to build because everyone online is well, running around. I, I want to so would you go, because I think you have done it better than most. And, you know, our, we got a good friend, Jason Goddard, who's also oh, yeah. very good at it, too. Killer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, uh, but I, I want to just go a little bit on the sausage one. So oh, we yeah. put, because, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, as I was reading your, and I'm going to share your blog so our fellow entrepreneurs can, you know, get your stories along the way and your journey. Yeah. And, you know, we, one of the things, we're all traveling this together. Let's have some fun yes. doing it. 100%. But, but you share, you know, a little more detail in the pictures. And I just had a really good time looking at that. For sure. I, I think sure. maybe I should do that here at my oh, local Absolutely. Community. Please. There's maybe about like a dozen people now doing their own versions. But the quick, quick version is if you even step back a little bit and you talk about philanthropy to entrepreneurs, uh, almost all of them go like, I'll sell my business for 50 million and I'll write a check for a million dollars. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that are doing well enough that can give a thousand bucks or even 5,000 bucks a month and they wouldn't feel it. And so my challenge became, how do I bring humans together, have fun and maybe bring a charitable component to it? And so through a series of bizarre events uh i've started i started doing like these food offs uh my friends and i were very competitive our food but like in a good way uh and we like we did a a cookie off then we did a pie off and and i'm always like how can i make things more intense so when we're doing this pie off i'm like why don't we invite some professional bakers then we did a mac and cheese off why don't we invite some professional mac and cheese makers and so early this year when round two of the cookie off was going to happen i was like why don't we make this crazy so we had almost 200 people show up we had uh 27 professionals show up uh they made cookies we raised 2500 bucks it was great and afterwards everyone had so much fun they're like you have to do this again and i realized uh you know it's fun in entrepreneurs want to bond with other people and if and you know like Jason does a great job basically if you meet someone through Jason you know that that person knows their stuff they're not crazy they're not an entrepreneur and I built a, a mini version of this reputation and I said why don't I do another food off 
and just bring in entrepreneurs. And then I thought, why don't I make it something, and I always want to challenge, right? Cookies are easy because they're not hot. And I was like, how can I do something that's hot? And so that's why I settled on sausages because no one was excited for it and I thought it'd be a hilarious adventure. Uh, but yeah, we ended up with 29 different sausages, types of sausages. Uh, the winner was a Reuben sandwich sausage. Uh, number two was a foie gras with ice wine sausage. Number three was a Chiang Mai sausage from a uh, a Thai restaurant. So we had uh, 29 different sausages. We had over a thousand total sausages. Uh, we raised ten thousand dollars for charity. I spent a couple thousand dollars of my own money so I could say 100% of your tickets goes to charity. And my viewpoint on that was if I spend 2k but I'm able to generate like a 5x ROI for the charity. Why not? That makes that makes sense. Uh, and what's awesome though is because I don't do any services or consulting or anything like that, uh, people were more than happy to join. They knew there wouldn't be any pitch. They knew there wouldn't be any like you know, oh one last thing you should buy this or upsell. Uh, and my favorite part was 21 people flew in to Toronto just for. There was actually a couple people that literally arrived on Sunday night and left or Sunday uh, afternoon. The event was Sunday night. And then they left on Monday morning just so that they could experience this. I mean, people, there was like a Philly cheesesteak. So there were some crazy, crazy sausages. Uh, and then what was awesome was at the end, we were able to donate all the extra sausages to a shelter. So it, not, nothing got wasted. Uh, but what was amazing overall through all this was the bonds were built were fantastic. Uh, I was a, and the conversation starter was so easy because the food was like, if you were there, I would have been like, hey, have you tried the Philly cheesesteak? You'd be like, no, I've been busy eating all the Chiang Mai. I'm like, hey, what about the non ice wine foie gras sauce? And you're like, no, I'm having the pastrami barbecue. And no. I'm like, oh, cool. Nobody said, I had that last night, too. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I was like, meh. Um, and so there was, of course, there was effort to get the, the chefs there. And, and I've built up my network in the restaurant industry, too, because, again, they know that I just do these dinners. Uh, but overall, it was a huge success. Um, I've told maybe a dozen people that I'm going to do the cookie off next year and pretty much all dozen have already agreed to fly in for it. Um, so now I need to figure out how to scale it without losing me. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's the brilliance of it. Everyone can do this. Food brings humans together. It's such an easy icebreaker, right? Like normal icebreakers are how's the weather or how's your day? But when you have that food, you're like, oh, this thing is so spicy. You're like, oh, I love the cilantro in it. Um, and, and especially when we're networking, people are always a little bit shy sometimes, right? They don't know how to get the conversation. That's the hardest part, right? The spark plug to conversation. Uh, and I found that this was the greatest, greatest um, way to start conversations. And afterwards, all I've heard is just rave reviews about, honestly, people didn't even care about the food that much, as much. The food was almost the background music to the actual relationships, sorry, being able to, that they were able to build because they knew I curated the humans, um, and and that was it. Well, yeah. you got to take those ideas and run with it. Let me go. I'm gonna go to resources real quick and pull up. You know, first your uh, sgo.com. Uh, let's get the bullshit. And why don't you just, you know, if they sign up, put the email. What are they getting here? Uh, all they're getting is me saying what's going on, and then I'm gonna send you some uh, articles I've written. Uh, for example, some some more esoteric on how important readability is. That's one of the biggest things I rave about is that people make their websites really hard to read. And this is just stuff I've learned over experience, right? Um, I talk about thank you page opt-ins. I think about uh, uh, talk about mindset, productivity. Um, I've never, there's no affiliate pitch. There's no JV. It's just me rambling on about topics I think are relevant to today's entrepreneur. And the other thing is I love conversations. So 
if you sign up, please say what's going on. I want to hear. I want to know who you are because that's what I really, really relish. No, and Sal, also the exam.com. Uh, I mean, just I think you've kind of shared with us what it is and just, you know, having the ability. I mean, it, with so many questions today on supplements and what works, what doesn't work, uh, it's a great resource. But so maybe, you know, fill in a little bit there if you want. Yeah, for sure. So examine.com, basically, if you have any question about any nutrition topic or supplement topic, we've done the research. Uh, our research is so good that we've even been plagiarized. <laughs> uh, like our alcohol page has been plagiarized or testosterone. And when I say plagiarized, I mean like in peer-reviewed papers, not random websites. It's actually been republished, <laughs> the research that we did. Um, and uh, basically we have an entire team. We have everyone from registered dietitian spectrum to medical doctor spectrum to researcher to PhDs to pharmacists because they know a lot that people don't fully appreciate. Uh, we just investigate the research. We don't sell any supplements. We don't sell any uh ads, products, all we do is an education company and personal, uh, uh, professionals are our biggest uh, customer base. So you can go to it knowing that we'll give you the full picture. Uh, easiest example is there was a huge amount of hullabaloo recently over coconut oil. The American Heart, uh, Health Association, Heart Association, Association said that it's really bad for you. Uh, other people are like, no, 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 they're wrong. They didn't do an actual study. So we actually did an article on saying 21 reasons why coconut oil is the greatest thing ever and slash will kill you. Like it's one of those nuances that we bring where everyone is so busy being black and white that if you want gray, we will give you the gray. And no one does it more in depth than us. I will literally challenge anybody to find any page more in depth than the ones we publish. We've been, we are 4 million words. We've been doing it for over six years and this is all we do. No, so this is great. Let me give the, uh, our fellow entrepreneurs, my key takeaways. And you know, there, there are so many, I mean, just, if I'm gonna just go through our big five that Sal gave us, you know, number one, build a brand, not a name. And you know, we're in it for our freedom, entrepreneurs, we never know I know I, I had a business that uh, I planned on having for the rest of my life and I had two partners. I had the largest share but not control and all of a sudden somebody showed up with a very large check <laughs> and my partner wanted out of and I kind of went for the ride and it was a great liquidity event and so on. But you know, that's where you, you've got to make sure that you're building a brand, that a brand is that experience. It's not just a logo too. The empowering your guys, um, boy, that's something we all know, but we don't do. And you know, we we've, we've got to give them the opportunity to shine and and really bring in people as we're growing our business that are better than us, and that allows us the freedom. Uh, the press is your friend. I mean, I think you got some great insights that Sal shared with you, and this is something I've built a number of businesses off media. I mean, today I have mobile multiple media partnerships. Uh, this has been phenomenal. They have distribution and uh, I did like Sal, the distinction between old and new media is a good reminder of you know, where you can get credibility and where you can get traffic, that distinction. More life to business, I, I say all the time to myself is that it's not about getting more business. You know, another million, two million, 10 million of revenue is not gonna change my life. What is, is building the right business to support the quality of life for all the people I care about. You know, and that includes clients, teammates, principals, and so on. And then, you know, we, we've got to have fun. And one of the best ways, uh, one, of, I have one of my, a very good friend of mine, Sal, uh, went and uh, he was a very successful high-tech guy, 
you know, went public, was, he's on four boards still, he's in his 70s, and he had no friends locally. So he went even one step further than you, and he just bought a restaurant. He bought the best restaurant in town. And he That's his brilliant. Money. Yeah, and he said, now he knows everybody. And he's actually <laughs> opening up another one. He's got the most successful one, the whole thing. So he's having a great time. Nothing, and you know, above all, remember Sal's advice on breaking bread together. You can make a huge 100%. difference. I do want to throw in a warning. Go ahead. Unless you have a lot of money, do not buy a restaurant. Yeah, no, no, this is, yeah, he has enough then. <laughs> and it, and yeah, awesome. it's exhausting and the the amount, he's profitable. He's the most successful restaurant, marginally profitable. So, yeah. you know, go from yeah. there. So AS Nation above me, go to, we've got the transcript, the show notes, all the links that Sal and I talked about. And I got to tell you, Sal, it's been great. Everyone out there, let's go out and make a difference. Take these Thanks. lessons, your clients, your future clients, and your communities are counting on you. Don't let them down. Thank you for having me, John. Exceptional, remarkable breakthroughs. AESNation.com